Well, as it's Easter Sunday, I thought that we would look at resurrection very appropriately. Um, but I wanted to start by telling you a few stories. Up on the screen, you can see there a couple of pictures. And there's a guy in India called Nekchan Sunri, who's an Indian artist, and he built a sculpture garden in the middle of Changarai. He used scrap metals from around the city, and he recycled them into his vision of a divine kingdom called Sukrani. And he built it among a gorge that was not allowed to be built on. Now, all of Chan's work was illegal, and he hid his work from the authorities for over 18 years. But by that time, it had grown into a 12-acre garden filled with pottery-covered concrete sculptures in a complex of interlinked courtyards. And they're just some of the pictures, but isn't that amazing <laughs> that in the back streets of Changarai is this 12-acre piece of land that wasn't able to be built on and yet Chan Sanri was able to build something as spectacular as that from recycled materials. And this is resurrection at work. Closer to home, there's a guy called Chris Rogers, who's an Anglican priest in Tower Hamlets in East London. And he started to work with others there in the community, doing something called guerrilla gardening. So late at night, they go out and they plant their seeds and they plant bulbs knowing that they will grow up amongst the concrete, amongst the despair, as a prophetic reminder that the kingdom of God is here, amongst us and in us. This is resurrection at work. Simon Peter, a disciple in the Middle East, was greeted by breakfast on a beach by his teacher Jesus and offered a second chance. This is resurrection. Mary, deep in grief, came to care for Jesus' body. She left full of joy at meeting the risen Christ. This is resurrection. And in all of these things, in all of these stories, whether 2,000 years ago, a few years ago, or just down the road, we see that resurrection constantly surprises and transforms us. Resurrection changes the stagnant, fixed things of this world. Resurrection gives life to the dead and decaying. Resurrection reconciles estranged, twisted relationships. And resurrection is a mysterious interaction that happens when we encounter a God that is life and love in its entirety. Resurrection is a rebirth, a new order of things. It is so much more than life after death. It rings and resounds in this earth, right here, right now. Resurrection is physical. It has flesh and bones. It's not lacklustre. It's not feeble. It is colourful and it is vibrant. It's something of substance. It's something we can touch. And the prophets of the Old Testament knew this. They were constantly dreaming and imagining what a new world might look like in their expectation of a Messiah. Amos talks of wine dripping from the mountains. Ezekiel talks about us being given grain, fruit, crops, new hearts and new spirits. 
whilst Isaiah speaks of people beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And um, one of the pictures that was up there is of the plowshares. And there's a guy called Shane Claiborne over in Philadelphia. And he literally takes the old guns that people use that have been used in murders of others and he turns them into plowshares and turns them into musical instruments. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Such a prophetic thing to do. And that is resurrection at work. Isaiah also talks about God settling disputes, wiping tears, even swallowing death up. And resurrection for these prophets was connected to the earth. It involved eating, drinking, working, pruning, growing, seeding, watering, beating and creating, putting right what was once wrong. And in Colossians, Paul talks about Jesus being the head of this movement, the one that goes before us, the one who shows us that creation and all within it, that the world, this world, is possible. And today we remember that what happened on the cross affects what has been, what will be, and what is. In his dying and in his living, we see that Jesus is the beginning, but also the end. The alpha, but also the omega. So big that all things broken, all things violent, all things damaged, dislocated, disconnected and discarded, get brought together to create a renewed earth and a new way of living under Christ. A return to the way things were in Eden, and perhaps even better where Adam and Eve spent their time united with the ground, stewarding, naming and caring for creation in communion with a God who they knew loved them. So perhaps it was no surprise that during the first sighting of Jesus after his resurrection, he was mistaken for a gardener. I can imagine Jesus was there getting his hands dirty, just working the ground. Because once he was resurrected, he couldn't help himself, but perhaps do a little bit extra on the side as well. And it's an image of one who died on a tree, connected to the earth, but also gives hope in planting new seeds. And I like to imagine that's perhaps what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in one of his parables, said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, when he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how this happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. And first the leaf blade pushes through, and the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. Resurrection is a mystery. Resurrection is at the heart of the kingdom of God. It is about the faithful planting of seeds and the possibilities that lie in each one of them. The start of potential for beauty and for good. But this isn't an easy task. The emergence of growth, hope and love is tough because life is tough. Six years ago tomorrow, I remember the anniversary of my dad's death. And it came at a really horrible time, right over Easter, right over Palm Sunday. 
uh, where we're meant to be rejoicing that Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. And there I was, I remember, didn't want to go to church for obvious reasons, um, and was so distraught because I thought, God, where is resurrection in my life? My heart was completely broken. And for a long time, any resurrection hope for me had been stuck at the crucifixion. Sunday seemed a long way off. But last year, as I first came here to Baston Hill, I was given a rose by um, a friend of mine. And she told me that um, perhaps I could look after this rose and um, I could tend to it in order to help me remember my dad. But what happened was I killed it. (laughs) Not Not the greatest thing in the world. And I felt pretty rubbish after I'd killed this rose off because it had such a deep connection with me. And so I threw it out into the back garden. It symbolized everything that had held pain for me. And the opportunity of new life and growth and resurrection felt gone in this flower. And I can imagine that Peter felt pretty similarly to me after he denied Jesus, perhaps even worse. Jesus had been someone who had invested in him, saw potential in him, even gave him a new name, a new way of living, moving and being. And then in Jesus' darkest hour, Peter rejected his friend, rejected his teacher, rejected his Lord. And before he got a chance to say sorry, Jesus died. And because of this, Peter forgot who he was, the builder of the church. And he went back to his trade of fishing, seemingly forgetting, or perhaps too ashamed, to remember the three years he'd spent with Jesus, following his every movement. But then, on a tired and misty morning, after spending a whole evening out in the lake fishing, Peter and his friends were called by a stranger on the shore to throw their nets over the right side of the boat. A familiar command and memory to the fishermen three years ago in a stark reflection of their first encounter with Jesus. What took place here on the beach was more than a repeat of the past. It was a reconciliation of broken relationships and a resurrection of a friendship. Jesus didn't ask Peter three times, do you love me, because he was being mean. He was doing it to resurrect that relationship. He knew that Peter would have been hard on himself. It was a resurrection of a calling within Peter to be a fisher of men, a tender of sheep and the cornerstone of the church. And the other week, I went out into the garden. You can see where I'm going. And I saw something brown under the snow. And it was the rose that I discarded. And I picked it up. And as I did so, I saw something, a tiny green shoot. And I took it indoors to the warm and put it into the window and I watered it. And slowly but surely... Over Easter week, the rose I had loved was not dead. 
it had been resurrected. <laughs> In the cold, harsh realities of the outside world, it survived the winter, survived last summer, survived the snow. And this is what it looks like now. And tomorrow, I'm going to plant it, sowing those seeds of resurrection next to a rose that my husband bought me, aptly also named Resurrection Rose. And this experience deepened my sense of knowing that when buds emerge and flowers start to grow through the struggles, how much more beautiful and how much more precious are they? God has not left us, but he has started something new to restore, to reconcile, to redeem and resurrect this world. He has started to bring heaven to earth in a holy matrimony where God will finally dwell. God hasn't given up on us here. The worry, the strife, anxiety, sadness, anger, the times where despair is all that is known, seeds are being planted. We have not been abandoned, but resurrection has begun. And it started with Jesus conquering death and a new creation bursting forth in the midst of this one. God is good and is rescuing the world from its decay. And God says that this world matters. Who we are now matters. He's not going to get rid of this world and plonk a new heaven on top of it and say, actually, what I've created is better. But he wants us to help create, resurrect and restore this world in order that it might be heaven on earth. He wants us to restore creation and its people alongside him. And this resurrection comes in the form of a recycled garden, an act of a community coming together at nightfall, breakfast on the beach, the telling of a risen Jesus and a rose bearing new buds. In 1 Peter 3 to 4, it says, all praise to God. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because of the living hope in Christ Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation and we have a great inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of decay. And these things, some of these qualities are mentioned in um, the book of Romans. and speaks about the struggles that we might go through when those seeds are being sown. And Paul writes, We can rejoice too when we run into our problems and our trials, for we know that they help us to, endure, to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. These are the things that will endure in the kingdom of God. The good, the true, the beautiful will live on in this world and flourish in the kingdom of God. When we create art, 
take care of the garden, are hospitable or inspire others. That will go on in the kingdom of God. When we sit with someone who is struggling to find out who they are in the midst of chaos, that too will go on. When we laugh until our stomachs hurt and tears stream down our face, it will go on. When we weep with those who are hurting, provide shelter and comfort for an aching heart, that will go on. When we go out into the community over a sole purpose weekend or over Christmas, over lunch, we will be sowing seeds of the kingdom, of the resurrection, and they will go on. To embrace resurrection is to embrace the things that endure, to keep on planting those seeds of love, those seeds of hope, of faith, of joy and of peace in the times where we might feel lost. And I just want to finish with a short story. Legend has it that when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, the man whose tomb Jesus' body was kept in, came to England with the Holy Grail. In Glastonbury, he had the Holy Grail and he stuck his staff into the ground. And out grew the Glastonbury thorn. During the Middle Ages, it was cut down and destroyed, and similarly during the Oliver Cromwell reign, and again in 2010. But in order to try and keep this tree from dying, the locals took cuttings, placed one in the church, one in the abbey and one on the hill. And a few years later, the tree began to grow again and started to flower. But not once, but twice a year. The only thorn bush to do so. And it flowers once at Christmas and once at Easter. This is resurrection at work. I wonder if you want to be people of the resurrection. I wonder if you want to be people who plant seeds that will live on into the kingdom and bring God's kingdom here. I wonder if perhaps today you feel as though you want to experience resurrection yourself because for you the stone still covers the tomb. And what I'm going to invite us to do is um, step forward in an act of saying that we want to be people of the resurrection. And there are daffodils here on the, on the floor. And we're going to start to place them up on the cross as a sign or a symbol that we want to be people known. Because where we go, resurrection springs up. Salvation springs up from the ground. But before we do that, we've got a short liturgy for us to read together. So if we say all of the words on the screen together. In our world, hate is dominant. Oppression is currency. Violence is glorified. Greed is praised. But let it know of something different. That we might clothe the naked, 
Feed the hungry, uphold the meek, light the darkness, bring the dead to life. Be the flame that lights the way, the life that saves the dead. Resurrection is in our hands. So we're going to have some music playing now. And I invite you to come up.